Hello and thanks for streaming this episode from ACF Church. Our hope is that this word would encourage you to walk closer with God and with your local church. We hope you consider partnering in the work God's doing here by joining a life group, serving, and giving. If you'd like to give financially to the mission of ACF Church, you can do so safely on our website at acfak.org or by texting the amount to 907-341-4213. Now prepare your hearts to hear God's word. So just a few days ago, as they're taking the sheeting off the walls in the building, they started seeing names that people had written on the walls almost 40 years ago, back in 1980. And I heard about this. I came over to the building and started reading these names. And I was thinking, man, where are these people now? Because to some degree, our story is a continuation of their story as they wrote on these walls. And so I started looking the names up. And of course, many of them are probably in their 70s or 80s at this point. Uh, one name specifically, this name Kevin, uh, is clearly written by a kid. And so I looked up the name and I found this guy on Facebook and found out that he's friends with a bunch of people in our church and that their family, they're longtime residents of Eagle River. And we decided to get a hold of Kevin. He came here with his family. He has a beautiful family and got to see some of the work that they'd done years ago and how we're putting this place to use today. What a cool thing that 40 years ago as a seven-year-old, he was investing in a building that we get to benefit from here almost 40 years later. And as I talked to Kevin, I found out the story was much bigger than what I'd realized. You see, he'd written his name when he was seven years old. And this was a project that he worked on with his brothers and with his mother and his father. And just a few years later, his father passed away. And then after that, I believe his mother passed away. So this was a project that they all spent time on together. Just blood, sweat, and tears, and energy, and money went into building this place that we get to gather in every week together in. So we were able to cut out the piece of wood and give it to him and his family as a gift, just as a a way to remember this time they spent together as a family. And what's so cool is that whether they realized it or not, 39 years later, we would be recipients of the effort and energy and time and money that they poured in that many years earlier. You guys, through your family and through this time, are really a part of our story, which is really kind of a cool thing to think of. In fact, I actually mentioned it to a couple people, and if you guys want to gather around real quick, um, I had a couple of friends that just wanted to like thank you guys. Hey, Kevin and the entire Mitchell family, I think it's pretty incredible that I get to tell you thank you for your service and your dedication and just share with you that ACF has meant a tremendous amount to my family. I just want to say thank you to Kevin and Mitchell family for constructing the space that houses ACF. I came to Alaska seven years ago and honestly hated it when I got here and it wasn't until I stepped in the doors of that building and found the church of ACF, the people that meet in that space, who really kind of changed my experience and were the hands and feet of Jesus for me. Thank you, Mitchell family from the Gettys, for putting such a solid foundation for our church. We appreciate it so much. And I just want to tell you thank you. Thanks so much for, for doing what you did. So, anyway, yeah, this one. Yeah, I got We hope that this building and this ministry continues on, that in 40 years, maybe we get to be part of someone else's stories. We may not know them, we may not ever hear about them, but we know that as we invest in today, that we will be part of someone's life-changing decision to follow Jesus many, many years to come. And that's just the honor that we get as we participate in God's work of the kingdom right here and right now.
So good. Can we just celebrate what they've done before us? It's so good. Man, we've received so much from other people. Um, man, it's just, as every time I've, I've watched that video three times now, and every time it just hits me that uh, so much of who I am and so much of what I'm a part of uh, is a product of what's been done before me. And so we, we have so much to be grateful for. Um, before we get going, let's welcome everybody who's with us online. Thanks for being with us here this morning as well. On Facebook Live, if you're a Facebooker, you can open up your phone and share this post. And just a great way to get people uh, to church from a distance, a simple way to help people who maybe aren't ready to come in these doors, because it can be scary to come to church, uh, to be able to join with us online. And it's a big morning for us, ACF. I mean, this is huge. I'm still excited that I get to drink coffee in church. And, and if you're new here, you don't know this, we were, we were mobile for 16 weeks meeting in the high school, and one of the rules was no coffee in the gym. And so, to coffee, amen? Amen. Here, here. Here, here. We love that. So we are excited about that. But it is what we're calling Commitment Week. And this is the beginning of where we're going. It's not the end of it, but it's the beginning of where we are headed. And we keep talking about our Acts 1-8 mission. And if you don't know what that is, we believe God is calling us uh, to reach our Jerusalem, our Judea, our Samaria to the ends of the earth. We we believe God's calling us to plant uh, a second campus. We believe God is calling us to multiply and uh, plant what we're calling these like outposts, these small uh, home-centered churches where they're going to be these missional communities that live uh, in the lower forty-eight. And we believe that God is calling us to finish this building specifically. There's another phase of a lobby on the end of here. And then the last thing that we believe God is calling us is to Bobo Gelasso in Burkina Faso, which is a place that we have been doing ministry through Compassion International. We want to help a church get a building. We want to help them have a place to meet. And so that that would be a compassion site, we'd be able to help them uh, to be able to sponsor more children for many, many years to come. So we have a huge mission Uh, We have a huge thing that God is calling us to, and today is when we all together as a family, we make our commitments to financially support the forward motion of what God is calling us to do. And just so you know, if you're wondering and you're like, man, is this really where God is calling us? The journey has, has been quite a long one to get to where we are. And this has been a lot of conversations with, with uh, our leaders, with you guys, and having talks with you. For me as a pastor, I don't just show up one day and be like, here's where we're going. This is many, many conversations with people who are like, this seems right to us. Our, our spirits just get excited about what this is. This seems right to us. It seems, as we pray about it, it seems right that God is calling us to this. And, and in that, we want to move forward together. And, and once again, if you are brand new or if this is your first Sunday, you can totally relax. Uh, I, I want you to get a sense of who we are and where we're going, but don't feel any pressure to, uh, to give anything here today. You are our guests, and we are glad that you are here. So this word commitment is sort of a dirty word in our cu- culture, isn't it? I mean, it, it, this is one of those words that we, we just hate to say commitment almost as much as we hate the word moist, right? That's a word... <laughs> I saw a license plate the other day with the word moist on it, right? And I was like, ew, just terrible, right? I mean, commitment is something most of us do our best to avoid. In fact, many of us have sort of what I would call commitment fatigue. Like, we're just tired of all the commitments. And, and so I wonder in this room, if there's anybody here who would be uh, fearless enough to admit that sometimes you have a fear of commitment. Anybody here willing to raise your hand? Okay, so most people would agree. I know I have had a fear of commitment over the course of my life. 
But here's the thing, here's the issue with this, is I believe that the best of what God has for you is on the other side of your biggest commitments. The best of what God has for you is on the other side of your biggest commitments, that we will never truly take hold of the calling that God has placed on our lives until we are willing to commit to things. And I think intuitively we sort of know this, don't we? I mean, maybe at one point you were uh, thinking about learning an instrument, how to play an instrument, and you knew that this was going to take a lot of time and commitment. And you, had a, you were at a crossroads. People said, hey, you got some talent. I think you could be great at this. And you had a decision to make. Am I going to be committed to the process? Am I going to pour my life into this and do the hard work of getting better at this? Or am I going to let this opportunity pass me by? Right? And so I wonder for you, what are the commitments that you've been scared of? What are the things that you, you sense God is calling you to that maybe you have resisted? And I would say this boils down even to the level of your faith in Jesus. I think there are a lot of people who would say, man, I believe in God. I go to church. I've read the Bible, you know, here and there, parts of it. But for many people, they do not have a true commitment to Jesus. And I wonder, the question is, can that be true? Like, can we actually be Christians without commitment? Is there a way to follow God? Is there a way to be a Christian without having commitment to his kingdom? If you want to open a Bible, if you have one, or download the ACF Church app, um, all the text will be on there as well. Open up to Luke chapter 14, is where we're going to be, verse 26. These are Jesus' words about the, the thing that we walk into when we call ourselves disciples. He says this, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. What Jesus is doing in this text is he's saying, you need to count the cost. I mean, there is a cost to following Jesus. And if you've never heard the gospel, if you don't know what the good news is that we as Christians believe, it's simply that salvation is free. Your right standing before God is free. And if if the people around you that are Christians, the only difference between maybe maybe you and them is that they have have realized their need for a Savior and have accepted Jesus as the one to save them. So salvation is free, but know this, following Jesus will cost you everything. If you want to be a follower of Jesus, it means giving up your life. He talks about, you know, this, the, the hatred of your wife and children. And at first when you read this, it's like, that kind of sounds messed up, right? Like, what is Jesus encouraging us to do? Some of you are like, you got to hate your sisters and your brothers. I'm nailing that, right? I must be a Christian if that's the case, right? No, what he's saying is, it's actually the exact opposite. Your love for your family assuming that you have some, you know, you're like, it changes from time to time, but your love for your family, your love for your wife, even your love for your husband or your love for yourself, whatever that is, however great that love is, it should look like hatred compared to your love for God, which is shocking, isn't it? Because you're thinking, man, there are some people that I do love. There are some people that mean a lot, or if nothing else, I do love myself quite a bit, right? Right? 
But the love that I have even for myself should actually look like hatred compared to my love for God. Jesus is saying two things, I I believe. He's saying, count the cost, but make a commitment. I mean, count the cost. It's going to cost you everything to follow Jesus. It means you're going to give up your life. This idea of bearing your own cross. It's like we we all have our own little crucifixion that we go through to follow Jesus. And Jesus is saying, without that crucifixion, there can be no resurrection. Without you losing yourself, you will never truly find yourself. And without giving up this life that's centered on you, you will never find fulfillment in a life that's centered on Jesus. But most of us, if you're like me, uh, try to avoid commitment at all costs, right? We are commitment phobes in our culture, Anything that we can do to stay away from commitment is what we try to do. We have time commitments. We have relational commitments. We have financial commitments, job commitments, family commitments, church commitments, school commitments, and many of us are just tired, right? Have you ever just wanted to cut off all your commitments? Have you ever just thought, man, could I just like maybe go to the woods for a year and just get away from all of this and separate myself? Because there's this feeling of being bogged down in way too many commitments. When our commitments are out of balance, we feel out of control, don't we? And so many of us would say in our culture today, we live in a highly anxious society. Uh, many, many people would say the most anxious generation ever is the generation we're living in right now. So we feel like our lives are out of balance. We have way too many commitments. And so the, the, the sensation is if I can get rid of commitments, I can gain control of my life. Like, like true freedom is found in fewer commitments. And if there's one thing we red-blooded Americans love, it's freedom, right? Just give me more control. Give me more freedom over my own life. I love what Tim Keller says, though. He says, true freedom isn't found in the absence of commitments, but in the right commitments. Think about that. True freedom is not found in fewer commitments or the absence of commitments, but in the right commitments. Once again, the best things in your life, the calling God has given you, and the freedom of, of feeling like, man, I am just running on all cylinders. I am doing exactly what God has created me to do. That excitement and freedom is found on the other side of your biggest commitments. What Jesus wants to say is that if you're going to follow me, it's going to take something like that. The thing is, many of us would say, no, I love you, Jesus. No, I, 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 I am a follower of Jesus. But what I'm trying to show you today is that love does not exist outside of commitment. If you don't write anything else down today, just write that down. Love does not exist outside of commitment. Imagine I said, Amanda, name my wife, Amanda, I love you, but I want to date other women, right? First of all, black eye, right? First of all, there'd be a throwdown that would happen. But she would know, like intuitively, no, that's not how it works, right? It's not how it works. No, to be in a marriage... The essence of a marriage is that I'm saying yes to one, one, one woman and no to every other woman in the world, right? That's the idea. And so that is love, is that there is commitment. And I think maybe you know this, that maybe there was somebody in your life that you thought loved you, but lacked commitment, and you realized they didn't actually love you. Uh, maybe it was a friend that you thought, man, I thought these were my friends. I thought they supported me. I thought they loved me. But as soon as um, there was that rumor that was going around about me, they didn't want to talk to me anymore. They lacked commitment. And I realized, no, they didn't actually love me. 
I had this friend over here who, you know, was, was with me in all things until my life got really hard. And then when my life got really hard and I needed their support, they were nowhere to be seen. And I realized that they didn't really, they didn't really love me, right? Because love does not exist outside of commitment. And in our society, we were so screwed up because we have devalued commitment, right? I mean, the, the covenant of marriage in and of itself is something that we value less and less and less every day, right? And so in our, in our society, it's very um, regular for people to be in open relationships, right? It's very accepted, like, hey, uh, I'm going to be with you for a few days, maybe with this person for a few days. And so there's this sort of openness about relationships that people feel will lead to more fulfillment. And it's just not working out, is it? It's just not working out. There's something about the commitment of a relationship that leads to its flourishing. And without that commitment, it will never flourish. I mean, it's sort of a side note, but in, in, in Christianity, there's this sort of this, this old-fashioned sounding idea that, that uh, people who are in relationships would wait for marriage to have sex. There's this, this thing that, that Christians talk about. So for some of you, if you're not from the church, you're like, that's a really weird thing. That's, that's not something that I get taught a lot. But we actually believe that that is where that part of your life will flourish is in a committed, lifelong relationship. And outside of that, maybe you've seen the wreckage that can be caused when there's a physical connection without a relational commitment, the commitment of marriage, this thing that says, I am sealing the escape hatch door. I am in it with you. I am going, to, to, I'm, I'm going down with the ship, Right? That is, that is what you're saying when you get married. married. And that, in that security and in that safety is where all of these things can thrive. It's where we can really succeed as a couple. A, a few reasons I think we avoid commitment. One would be uh, choices. We have a lot of choices, don't we? I love lots of choices. I love it when I sit down at a restaurant and the menu's like a mile long, right? I can have anything. It, normally that means none of it's really that good, right? You're like, they have Chinese food and burgers and, you know, a little bit of Asian cuisine. Like, we got a little bit of everything. But we love our choices and we feel like more choices should lead to more satisfaction, uh, the same is true in our job situations, in our vocations. Do you know that today there are more choices and options for vo- vocations than there have ever been? And all you have to do is log on to monster.com right now, and you can go find a job somewhere else with a much better boss and a better paycheck, and you know, where you know, the winters aren't as long, and, and you, can, you can go from job to job to job to job, right? But do you know we have more options than ever? We're making more money than ever, and yet we as Americans are more miserable than we've ever been. This is just, studies are very clear about this. You can look it up for yourself. Because a hundred years ago, right, a hundred years ago, if my parents were farmers, guess what I was going to grow up to do? Be a farmer, right? Like, I didn't have have a lot of options for that. I was going to grow up learning the trade. I was going to grow up learning how to take care of animals, how to take care of the land, how to grow crops, and then... I was going to do that for a living. Do you know that 100 years ago, people were a lot more satisfied in what they did? I mean, think about that. There's something about the commitment and going, I don't have a million options. This is what I get. So I'm going to stick with this. And in the end, that commitment leads to satisfaction. Another thing that we struggle with is FOMO, right? Fear of missing out. Once again, the idea of commitment means that you are committing to one thing and not to something else. And there's always this fear, isn't there, of what that other thing is. 
I mean, some of you have even been there where you're on vacation in a beautiful place and you're on Instagram wishing you were with your friends back home because they look like they're having such a good time, right? You're like, of course, I leave Alaska and it's 90 degrees, right? I leave during the best month in Alaska. So you're like in Hawaii going like, I wish I was in Alaska, right? It's so funny how we always feel like we're missing out on something else. A friend of mine said that he was, he was not going to get married, at least not for a while. And I was like, why? And he said, well, honestly, the feeling is that there's, there's going to be somebody better out there, right? A fear of missing out. I don't want to commit and get married because I'm afraid that there's somebody better out there, which I, I had to laugh at him because I'm like, your assumption is that if there's somebody better out there, she's going to want to be with you, right? Like, <laughs> maybe at some point you just go like, thank you, Jesus. This girl likes me. Put a ring on it, right? Like, let's just lock this thing in. At some point, you just, you take what you got, Right? FOMO, fear of missing out. Isn't there a part of us that always thinks what we don't have is better than what we do have? Don't you see how how quick we are to lose our excitement for things? As simple as like, you know, I remember when when the 35-inch flat screens came out. And we were like, oh, it's huge, right? And then what happened the next year at Costco? 50 inches, and then it's 60 inch, 65, and now there's 4K, 90 inch, I don't know. They're just, they just keep going. You can cover your whole wall on a TV here in a couple years. I'm sure it's coming, but the whole point is to lead to a sense of dissatisfaction. I have to spend more money, right? Because now all of a sudden what I do have doesn't seem as good as what I could have. Uh, trust issues. We have trust issues, don't we? Do you know that uh, a study was done that 31%, only 31% of Gen Xers say that people are trustworthy? Just general, that you can trust people. And compare that to millennials, which is my generation. Love them millennials. There's not a lot of good that gets said about millennials, but uh, we're running the workforce now, ladies and gentlemen, so it's time to accept it. If you're in your 20, late 20s, early 30s, mid 30s, you're probably a millennial. Uh, with millennials, only 19% of them would say that people are generally trustworthy. 19%. So we have a decline in trust, a decline in satisfaction, an increase in the amount of choices that we have, a decrease in the commitment that we have, and we wonder why we're so unsatisfied. Isn't there kind of this underlying thing that's like, man, there's always going to be something else. There's always something better out there. But what if... What if what was going to fulfill us and give us satisfaction was right before our eyes and we were missing it because we feared commitment? Control. I know there's some control freaks in the room. I'm not going to make you raise your hands because you'll feel out of control, right? What are they going to think of me? What am I going to do? So listen, I know there's some control freaks in the room. One of the things that keeps us from committing is we feel like we can hold on to control. We don't want to find ourselves in a situation where we're at the mercy of somebody else or something else. But isn't that the the challenge that we have with following Jesus? Is the idea of following Jesus is a relinquishing of control. We say things, we even sing things like, Father, take control of my life. But sometimes when we say those things, we don't really mean them. We don't really want to commit to God because we don't really trust God. We feel like maybe we could do a better job of controlling our situations. And this gets marketed to us. Our obsession with control is is really marketed to us. I ran across this picture this week. I'm a Netflixer. I know some of you guys probably watch a lot of Netflix. I love how they marketed this idea to us. Watch anywhere, cancel anytime, right? Doesn't that just warm your heart? 
I just, I just love that. I mean, sign me up, right? So, what are they selling us? Zero commitment, right? Zero commitment. Watch anywhere. Everywhere you go, it goes with you. It's in your pocket, easy access, and then if you don't like it, you can just shut it off, right? Some of you are like, I'd be married a long time ago if that's how marriage worked, right? But that's not how it works. It's, it's for life, right? That's the idea. It's not cancel any time. That's not... That's not the whole idea of marriage. Luke 14, 30 talks about this man. Jesus brings up this, this man. He says, this man began to build and was not able to finish. When we first moved to Alaska, we started looking at homes around uh, the Eagle River, Chugiak, uh, Birchwood area, and there are some interesting homes in Alaska. And you've been looking at homes? Man, there are some interesting structures and we came across one place specifically, and this lot was all overgrown, and there was this, uh, this foundation that was poured in the middle of the lot. And at this point, it was almost rubble. I mean, there's weeds and trees growing up through the middle of it. And we were like, well, what happened? And our real estate agent said, well, this guy poured this foundation 25 years ago. So somewhere, some, somewhere there are plans for a house, a structure that's going to go on top of that. But what happened was... He poured a foundation, but he didn't count the cost of finishing the build, right? And so he's now trying to sell the property and, and get, it, get his money back out of that building. I would say that there are a lot of Christians like that. And I use the word Christian tongue-in-cheek a little bit because there are a lot of people that have a foundation of faith, but they don't truly follow Jesus, right? And, and in many ways, we, we as a church are, are after um, that generation or that group of people, like we want to have conversations with you. We hope that for, for wherever you're at here today, if you're somebody who isn't yet a Christian or maybe you're a, a de-churched person and you're struggling with your faith, we are so glad that you're here. But we acknowledge that for a lot of people, there was this foundation that was poor, but there was never a real structure that was built on your faith. I mean, maybe you went to church for a little while. Maybe you de- dealt with some hard questions Maybe you opened the Bible and saw some things that you were like, man, I don't, I don't know how to reconcile that with being a loving God and some of the violent portrayals of God, some of the, the, the death that we see and sacrifices in scriptures is hard to deal with. Uh, this idea of the, kind of Jesus being the only way, I mean, that is so hard to get our minds wrapped around in a pluralistic society, right? Like we struggle with these things. And so there's this like foundation that's laid, but there was never a structure that was built. You didn't get answers to your questions. You didn't go read a book on how to, how to read your Bible better and how to understand it for what it is. You didn't go to your pastors and try to deal with those things. Or maybe you did and you didn't get the answers you needed and so you just gave up. But for a lot of people, there's a foundation that's laid, but you didn't count the cost of what it would take to truly be a disciple of Jesus. Verse 27 says, Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Jesus is literally saying, this is what it looks like to to love me, to follow me. Because as we said, love does not exist outside of commitment. What it means is there's sort of this death. There's sort of this this personal death that you experience, this cross that you bear, and there's also this resurrection that you experience in your life to actually follow me. It means a commitment to him with everything. And that's a great cost. And I would say that in the church today, in our desire to see people get saved, in our desire to see people pray the prayer of salvation, sometimes we have failed to make it clear that Jesus wants all of you and not part of you. 
Sometimes we as, as pastors, I know I have before, failed to say, no, listen, I, I want you to know how much God loves you. I want you to, to rid your life of shame and to feel freedom, knowing that God, the highest authority in all of existence, says that you are loved and you are valuable and that you are worth dying for. I want that so badly for you. But I also want you to know that to have a relationship with that God means that you lay everything on the table for that God. In fact, we, uh, we just came through and are finishing up a series called Who Needs Church? And, and it's been this conversation, I think a really important conversation today about um, how, how the church has sort of become disposable. And in many ways, when people show up to a church, they show up just to kind of get something. And when the product isn't what they'd hoped it would be, they go look for something else, right? And in fact, if I had my way as a pastor, I would love it if we could just rid this one phrase from existence. And it's the phrase church shopping. Could we just never say church shopping ever again? Like, I, I get what we're trying to communicate is, is that we're looking for a church to be a part of. And I know in many ways we don't mean anything by it, but it just, it, it feels wrong to me, I'll be honest. Like, it doesn't feel, there's something about it. Like, like if somebody came up to you, they're like, what are you doing this weekend? It's like, well, I'm going wife shopping. We'd be like, that's, that's kind of, uh, just tastes wrong in my mouth. Like, it just feels wrong. Like, I don't know, it's something about saying wife shopping feels wrong, but know this, this is the bride of Christ. This is the family of God. And this community is what Jesus bled for. She is not something to be bought. She is something to give your life for. And so at some point, what we realize is the most important commitments that we ever make are selfless ones. It's when we reach this level of understanding of ourselves and of what our lives are about. It's when we get such a vision for our existence that we start to commit to things that are outside of ourselves. Our commitments are no longer, how can they serve me, but how can I serve them? Or we show up to a church, right? And, and the, the idea is not to shop for the best product and the best kids ministry. And was the pastor funny? And did he make me cry too? And did he open the Bible to the right verses that I like? Like, the point is, how can I find a community that's on mission, that loves Jesus, and then how can I die for that community? How can I give up my life for that family? How can I sacrifice and contribute to the mission of God in Alaska? And that's, that's what we're to do. It's not shopping. You're not buying a pair of shoes, Right? We're looking for a family to be a part of. A study was done in 2018 that says 68% of people go to church to find personal comfort. And the good thing is, Jesus is our comforter, isn't he? He does want to comfort us. He, He does comfort us. But the purpose of us going to church is not for our personal comfort alone. See, what we see in Jesus is he was committed to the church. He was committed to the mission to the point of giving his life for it. He loved you that much and continues to love you that much. He was committed to his calling. Jesus knew who he was. I think one of the biggest reasons that we struggle as Christians is we don't know why we exist. We're still trying to figure out why we wake up and get out of bed in the morning. And if you don't know why you get out of bed in the morning, then you won't know what commitments to make. You'll find yourself committed to all the wrong things, and you'll feel very out of control in your life. Jesus knew who he was. He knew his calling. Luke 4.18. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. 
So beautiful little passage. Isn't that awesome? He talks about the poor, the captive, the blind, the oppressed. Who's he talking about? You and me. Us. We are the poor. We are the captive. We are the blind. We are the oppressed. The oppressed. And Jesus has come to set us free. He knew what he was here to do. And because he knew what he was here to do, he knew what to be committed to and what not to. He knew what things were important in his life and what things shouldn't be important. The decision-making process for Jesus was very simple. Does it move the kingdom of God forward? And if it does, I want to be a part of it. And if it doesn't, I don't need it. That's how Jesus aligned his life. What's your calling? What are you here for? Because here's the deal. Your calling will inform your commitments. And your commitments will inform your course of action. For Jesus, he knew what he was here to do. He had a calling, and then he had commitment to that calling, right? It wasn't just lip service. And we know it wasn't lip service to the commitment because he ends up dying for humanity, right? See, for us, sometimes we think we're really committed to things, but there is no action, right? Nothing happens with our commitment. So I think a few things. How did Jesus show his commitment? Because he did. He did show it. We can definitely see the commitment of Jesus in his life. Luke 23, 44 is, this is, these are the moments. This is what Jesus does and says before giving up his life for you and for me. It says this, It was now about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. So Jesus is hanging on the cross right now. While the sunlight failed, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. This curtain represented the separation this holiness of God from humanity, this curtain was torn, a symbol of how now we through Christ Jesus and his blood can enter into a relationship with a perfect and holy God. The curtain is torn in two. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I what? Commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Now, when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God, saying, Certainly this man was innocent. And all the crowds that had assembled for the spectacle, when they, had, when they saw what had taken place, returned home beating their breasts, and all his acquaintances and the women who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. So I think the first thing we see is that Jesus commits publicly. This commitment, this, I mean, people heard this, he's screaming out, into your hands, Father, I commit my spirit. And certainly we see in the crucifixion the the action, the course of action that followed his commitment to us, his love for us, because his love led to commitment, which also led to his action. So he commits publicly, and one thing you need to know about crucifixion is it was a public spectacle. That was the whole point. So it's interesting that Jesus didn't choose to privately, like in a prison cell somewhere, give up his life. That's That's how it could have happened. He could have planned it that way. Instead, he said, I want a public spectacle to be made of all that is wrong in this world. I want people to see the evil in this world be overcome by my love for you. And so it's this public example. If, if you've ever maybe been to Jerusalem, I was honored to be able to take a trip at one point and see the place they call the place of the skull, which is where um, we believe Jesus was crucified. We don't know 100%. But there's still this rock that sort of looks like a skull. It's right above the Greyhound bus station, just outside of Jerusalem, which makes a lot of sense because crucifixion happened on the local trade routes. 
It was, it was literally done intentionally to be in front of people. Like wherever there, there was traffic and people coming by, that's where they would do crucifixion. So this brutal act of giving his life was a public thing. And this public nature, the public nature of Christ's sacrifice, I believe, was to serve as an example of how we are to live today. That we are both to to sacrifice and give up ourselves in private ways, certainly, but also in public ways for people to see and hopefully glorify God himself because of those things. So one thing we're going to do today is we're actually going to make a, a public commitment. And so some of you maybe get a little nervous about this, but one of the things we do as a church is we have commitment cards and when we're giving to something like this, we, during worship, we're going to be able to come forward and you'll be able to drop your little card in the, in the bucket and then receive communion. And it's just a, a celebration, a public way of making a commitment to our Acts 1-8 mission. And I just want to touch on something real quick because every time we do this, I get some questions. Because for some people, they're like, man, Brian, I just don't know. Like, I feel like it should be private and it feels kind of weird that we would be committing and, and even giving publicly. And is that Okay. And one of the scriptures that gets thrown out a lot is this. Matthew 6, 3 says, But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Okay. So when you first read that, you go, oh, man, so we should only give in secret. All right. But then, again, the Bible's always meant to be read within its context. Let's keep reading what else it says. In verse 6, it says, But when you pray, go into your room, And shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. Okay, so I'm reading that going, I've prayed in public before. I've prayed in a non-secret. I've I've definitely prayed outside of my room, right? I mean, is this the only way to pray? And is in this like quiet place? It keeps going. Verse 17, he says, but when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face. We just did a, a training month where we were fasting together. Anybody remember to anoint your head? I forgot. I didn't, I didn't anoint my head. Did wash my face, so that's good. That your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. So once again, there's sort of a theme here is this idea that Jesus is communicating fasting and praying and giving in secret. It's a great thing. It's an important thing to do these things in secret. It is one way, but it is not the only way. What I think he's trying to communicate is that we don't give to be seen, but we can give and be seen. And in many times, it's really important that we are seen doing things. And just coming back to the book of Acts, we see, again, Barnabas sells the land and brings the money publicly to the apostles' feet, right? We see people in the early church, in the book of Acts, right, where they're selling all of their goods and bringing the money together to be used. It's a public thing that's that's happening here. There are examples throughout Scripture of this. In Numbers 7, we see the list of donors who gave to the tabernacle. Public, right? We see in 1 Chronicles 29 this idea that the leaders of Israel led the way in generosity to give to rebuild the temple or to build the temple. And it says this, the people rejoiced at the willing response of their leaders for they had given freely and wholeheartedly to the Lord. So here's what you need to know. Giving publicly is okay. You got to be careful about your heart. What Jesus is saying in this text is there were religious leaders who were doing these things to be seen. You know, like, like they're praying these big religious-sounding prayers and trying to sound super spiritual so they can get people's respect. They were fasting in a public way going, oh, my stomach hurts. Oh, why does your stomach hurt? Well, because I'm fasting, because I'm so holy, right? 
I mean, that's not okay. And then even giving, right? Giving in a way that's like sounding a bell and an alarm to be like, hey, look what you gave, you know, and trying to show off. And that's not what we want to do. So he's saying, you, you, can, you can give and be seen, but don't give to be seen. And even this specific passage about the right hand, not knowing what the left hand is doing, is specifically speaking about giving to the poor. I mean, think about the context. So like, it would be important that if somebody needed financial help, maybe it's a friend of yours, somebody in your life group or a neighbor, that you wouldn't make a big spectacle out of it, Right? We protect the dignity of the poor by not making it a big deal when we give to meet their needs. Does that make sense? Like, we want to protect them. We don't want to we don't make it a big deal. Like, look at Bill. He's poor, so I'm giving him money, right? Like, that's not going to honor whoever this friend is that we're trying to, to help out. So we want to lead the way in this. And in fact, there are many times where we do this publicly. And, and what you need to know is that before even today, when we're doing, beginning our commitments, that I've talked with our ACF partners um, which is just kind of what we do for membership. We call them partners. Uh, we don't have members. We have ACF partners that we have encouraged to actually make their commitments before today. Just like we read this idea in First Chronicles where the leaders gave before just to kind of lead the way, I want you to hear and maybe read some of the stories of some of those who have already come before you. Check this out. I, lo- I love the idea of, uh, of, of leading the way in that. And one of the statements just sticks out to me every time. Uh, I saw that we were doing a giving campaign, and I tried to ignore it, right? Some of you are totally there, and I understand that. I understand that you're like, I'm trying not to listen today. Um, and, and I get that. I understand that. But there, what the person said is, like, I-, I caught a vision, and I couldn't help but be a part of it. 
I, I began to understand my calling in a new way. I thought we were already generous, and then I thought, well, you know what? God is calling us to a, a sacrificial gift, right? And it's so important that we see that because I believe that one of the ways that Jesus shows his commitment is that he commits sacrificially, right? He commits sacrificially. He gives up his entire life for us. One of the things that we know is that for us, we will be most sacrificial for what we value most. You will be most sacrificial for whatever you value most in life. And this is modeled, this idea of sacrificial giving and sacrificial um, living is seen in the, in the Old Testament. Da- King David, in this passage in 2 Samuel, is going to make a sacrifice to the Lord. And he knows that this sacrifice needs to be something that, that is costly to him. And, and you can read the story, and he's kind of dealing with his own pride and, and trying to lead the way in all of this. And we see this in 2 Samuel chapter 24, where he encounters this man that he's going to get the, the, the supplies to make a sacrifice. So he shows up to buy this stuff from this man, and here's what's said. Verse 21, and, and Aruna said, why has my lord the king come to his servant? And David said, to buy the threshing floor from you in order to build an altar to the Lord that the plague may be averted from the people. Then Aruna said to David, let my lord the king take and offer up what seems good to him. Here are the oxen for the burnt offering and the threshing sledges and the yokes of the oxen for the wood. So this man says, oh, you're going to make a sacrifice to God. I want to be a part of it. Here's everything that you need, which seems great and generous. And like, man, that's a, that's a really cool thing. King David says this, verse 24, but the king said to Aruna, no, but I will buy it from you for a price. I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord, my God, that cost me nothing. Do you sense this understanding of the holiness of God in King David? This idea that, man, God wants our first and our best. God is holy. He's righteous, and he deserves our very best. There's this honor that he has for God. that He's like, man, this is really kind of you to offer what I would need. Be like somebody going like, hey, you want to give to Next Step? Well, here's a check for whatever amount. You can give it to Next Step. And you can go, well, that's very kind of you. But the whole point is that I would sacrifice. And through that sacrifice, I would learn that God is my provider and I am not. God is my security and I am not. God is my hope and I am not. Am not. And we only learn those things through our own sacrifices. I love that idea that he knew he needed to sacrifice. Um, if you guys know Pastor Stewart, um, we were talking earlier before service today, he was able to go shoot a moose this year, which is a big deal in Alaska if you shoot a moose. And he tells this story and he says, he starts off, he's saying, this evening when I shot this moose was the best and worst day of my life. And if you're a hunter, you know what that's like, Right? where everything just falls apart. He tells a whole story about he shoots the moose. It's down in this hole. It's just him and his, his oldest daughter, you know, and it starts raining, and there's bears in the woods, and the four-wheeler breaks down, and everything falls apart. And then he's texting me pictures of the steak yesterday. And I'm like, looks delicious, man. He's like, it's the best steak ever, right? Because here's, here's what Stuart knows. Is the pain you go through to get the meat out of the field is directly proportional to how good it tastes, I mean, it's just different. If somebody hands you a moose, 
It's going to taste like meat. It's going to be good. But if you went through this pain and you bled and you suffered to get it, it's like, mm, this is the best meat ever. The same is true with what we give to God. The sacrifice is kind of part of experiencing joy. I mean, the cost that it takes, the dealing with the, the, the difficulty. And, and so for our family, we've been doing this this week and looking at our commitment card and going, man, how do we make this work? And the cost is part of the joy. I believe that it should cost us something. And then Hebrews 12, 1 says this. It's a beautiful verse. It says, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. So we see Jesus commits in this public way. He commits sacrificially. The last thing we see is that Jesus commits joyfully. Do you know that he didn't begrudgingly die for you? I mean, you've had people help you out, and you could tell, like, I don't think they really want to do this. Jesus wasn't begrudgingly walking to the cross going, if they would have gotten themselves together, I wouldn't have to do this. Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross. Took that upon himself, joyfully. This act of giving that we're participating in is a joyful act. It's something that we celebrate. It's something that we want to honor God with and take joy in. And we're encouraged. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7 says, Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. He's basically saying, you don't need to be emotionally manipulated. Don't make a knee-jerk reaction today. Like, oh, pastor's up there talking about this thing. Honestly, I haven't thought about it. I'm with that guy. I've been ignoring it for the entire series. I'm just going to do a little. Like, don't make a knee-jerk reaction, but what we're going to ask you to do is to pray and follow Jesus and take joy in what God calls you to. Enjoy being part of the mission. Enjoy that you forever, as you make a commitment to help us take a step forward in our Acts 1-8 mission, you forever will be like Kevin in the story. You are part of somebody else's Jesus story by investing in what's going on here. Maybe you're going to be gone in a month. Maybe you're moving away in a couple years. But for the rest of your life, you will be part of what God is doing right here in Alaska to the very ends of the earth. Here's the deal. Love does not exist outside of commitment, but commitment does not exist outside of action. I can't tell my kids, I love you guys, and not spend any time with them. I can't say, I love the church, and yet not, yet not be part of helping the church to succeed, right? I can't say, no, this is my church family, and yet be unwilling to be part of the mission, right? And so some of you are going to have to kind of make a decision a bit today. Is this my church, right? If it's not, once again, if you're here new, I'm so glad you're here, but don't feel any pressure. Just totally relax. But if this is your family, know this, we are moving somewhere together, And sitting it out shouldn't be an option. So all we're asking you to do is to pray about it. So uh, grab your commitment card. It should have been on the seat by you. If there wasn't a commitment card, I actually heard between services that we ran out, which is a great problem to have, right? We ran out of commitment cards. So um, you can go to acfnextstep.com if you're with us online and uh, maybe you want to be a part of this. We'd love for you to go visit that website. There's all kinds of information there. Uh, You can make a commitment on acfnextstep.com or you can go uh, with the commitment card here right now. But we are going to do something together right now. We want you 
to just begin praying. And we're going to give you about three minutes. And maybe you just need to start by putting your name on the bottom, right? Start with that. We're going to give you three minutes just to pray and to hear what God says to you and just to, to, to partake in this, to be part of the family. Whatever God calls you to, however much or little, just do it. Just follow Jesus. And so we're going to take a step forward together. And then you can come up these aisles and drop those commitments in these baskets. And then I love this. Once you do that, I want you to receive communion. I want you to make a commitment as a symbol of you participating in God's kingdom work sacrificially. And then I want you to take part and and taste God's commitment for you. That's what communion is. It's a symbol of God's commitment to you. And know this today, if you hear nothing else, that no matter what you do, God will always be committed to you. No matter what you do, God will always be committed to you. In all things, no matter what we do, Jesus stays committed. And so that's what we're going to celebrate today. I would love to pray for us, and then we're going to give you a few minutes, and then we're going to worship together. And so would you bow your heads with me? God, thank you so much for the church. God, I just think of the journey I've been on with, uh, with the church and going from a season of just being really de-churched and struggling with even being part of the family of God to, God, seeing you move in my life and heal wounds that I wasn't sure could be healed and develop a passion inside of me for the movement of your kingdom here in Alaska and to the ends of the earth. God, I just, I'm so grateful that your spirit's at work and alive and doing miracles in the church still today. So God, we trust that your spirit, if, if you are in us, that Acts 1.8 says that when our spirit, your spirit is in us, we will be your witnesses. That it's not something that we have to force, but simply it's a, it's a sign of your spirit dwelling in our hearts. God, so make us your witnesses. God, give us a, a thirst to be part of your kingdom work here to the very ends of the earth. God, we trust you. We know you're our provider. And God, we know there's so much more to come. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Love you guys.